All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, please open them to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Very important message this Sunday morning for us. I think this is something that we find in our world that people challenging, that are very challenged by, and we're going to look at this text. You know, on Sunday morning, we have been walking through the Gospel of John. We're talking about believing and living God's, I mean, John's desire for his readers was that they would know who Jesus was, and as a result of that, that they would believe on him and that they would experience life to the fullest. That is God's desire of all of our lives, is it not? Sure it is. Well, in chapter 5 this morning, we are going to look at a continuation of the story that we started last Sunday morning. Now, we don't know that most likely the continuation of this story did not happen on the same exact day as the beginning of the story. This is probably the day after. But in just a moment, we're going to realize that surely this is a continuation of what happened the day before when Jesus and his apostles went up to the temple to celebrate the feast. So if you have your Bibles or device, make sure you find John chapter 5. When you have found it, look up here at me. Because this is the question I really want us to consider this morning. The question I want us to consider is this. Did Jesus really claim to be God? Did Jesus really claim to be God? For over 2,000 years... People have been asking and trying to answer that question. Now, many liberal theologians would have us to believe nowhere in the Bible does Jesus claim to be God. But I believe more important than what they say is this. What did Jesus say about himself? And how did the people of Jesus' day understand his words. Did they believe Jesus claimed to be God? Well, our text is going to answer those questions for us today. In chapter 5 of the Gospel of John, a major shift takes place in the ministry of Jesus Christ. To this point, Jesus Christ has ministered with little criticism of anyone. He has faced no opposition or persecution from the religious leaders, but all of that is about to change. Last week, we looked at the story where Jesus Christ healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. Now, the healing in and of itself was not necessarily a bad thing. I think we would all agree today that healing someone is a great thing, isn't it? But Jesus Christ performed this miracle on the Sabbath. And when he performed this miracle on the Sabbath, it brought him into conflict with the religious leaders. The Sabbath was one of the most holy days in the religion of Judaism. As a result, the religious leaders had attached 39 different categories of things that were prohibited on the Sabbath by the Jewish people. One of those categories was this, you can't bear a burden on the Sabbath day. When Jesus Christ looked at this man, 
And he said to them, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. He broke the Sabbath, according to the religious leaders. And at that moment, the Jewish leaders began to prosecute, I mean, I'm sorry, began to persecute Jesus Christ and oppose him. In our text this morning, verses 17 through 23, is part of Jesus Christ's response to the religious leaders. So as I read this particular text this morning, what I want you to do, I want you to see if you can find the three statements that Jesus Christ is going to make about himself and make about the fact that he is truly God. So let's begin in verse 16 in the passage or this passage of Scripture. We want to begin with verse 16 because it gives us context of what is happening in this story. And we're going to read down through verse 23. Now you look for those three statements that Jesus Christ makes in this passage of Scripture about Him really being God. Verse 16, And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. He was doing these things on the Sabbath. He had healed the man. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. Now, I will tell you, many liberal theologians struggle with that verse of Scripture, don't they? If we want to know whether Jesus Christ claimed to be God or not, let's just allow Jesus Christ's words to guide us and direct us. Very clearly in this passage of Scripture, John says, when Jesus Christ claimed, my Father is working until now, and I am working, it says here in this passage of Scripture, making Himself equal with God. When Jesus Christ makes that claim, He is claiming a unique unity with God the Father that no Jewish person in their right mind would ever claim. No Jewish person in their right mind would ever call God in heaven by the phrase, My Father. Are you surprised that Jesus Christ starts His response to the religious leaders with these two words, this phrase, My Father? This is how Jesus Christ chooses to respond to the religious leaders. He chooses these words deliberately. Now, if you're like me, when I look at those words, I think to myself, those words don't really seem to be that harmful, do they? They kind of seem to be harmless, don't they? I mean, think about it for a moment. I would be be willing to say that the majority of us here today who are followers of Jesus Christ would have no problem at all looking to heaven and saying to God, My Father. Would you you have any problem doing that? I would have no problem doing that. Maybe on, on, on more than one occasion in my life I have referred to God the Father as my Father, speaking of my relationship with Him. But I will tell you this. In the sense that Jesus Christ makes this claim, it is not the same. In Jewish life, to claim my Father 
in the manner in which Jesus used this phrase is not just a harmless phrase. To call God my Father was to claim equality with God. By using this phrase, Jesus was claiming to have a unique relationship with God as his father. The same kind of relationship that an earthly father would have with his son. That both an earthly father and an earthly son would both be fully human. When Jesus makes this claim, he is saying all that the father is, the son is as well. That's what Jesus Christ was saying. When we began to understand what it is that Jesus Christ is saying, we began to realize why they were so upset, why they were put out that Jesus Christ would use this reference to refer to his relationship with God. But not only does Jesus Christ claim to be God in the human flesh, every single person in that audience that day understood fully what it was that Jesus Christ was saying when he made the claim, my father. When Jesus spoke the words, my father, he was claiming a unique unity with the father that can only be claimed by the son. And everyone in that crowd understood exactly the claim that Jesus Christ was making. With his words, Jesus was claiming to be equal with God in his nature. Think about it for a moment. Listen to what it says in verse 18 again. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he just breaking the Sabbath, so it's no longer just an issue of breaking what they perceive to be the laws, the commands of God, which I hope we understand that Jesus Christ was not breaking the Sabbath by healing. He's going to go on and say that in just a moment, and we'll see that in the rest of this text. But he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus' first claim is this. Jesus claims to be equal with God in his nature. So when Jesus Christ made the statement, my Father, he was saying the Father and I are one. Let's go back to this text again and let's see what else Jesus Christ is going to claim. Listen to what he says here in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing, and greater works then these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now I want us to pause right here, because I believe in these verses, 19 through 21, we're going to see this second daring claim that Jesus Christ is going to make about himself. So the first claim that Jesus Christ makes to this crowd 
that has gathered around him, all of the religious leaders, Jesus Christ has made the claim that he is equal with God in his nature. Now, if that is not enough, Jesus Christ is going to follow up that claim, and he's going to make this second claim. Jesus is going to claim to be equal with God in his work. So first we have Jesus Christ saying to this crowd, this group of people that have gathered around him, religious leaders, he understands what it means when you make a, a, a statement like, my father. Jesus fully understood that. The people understood that. I want you to put yourself in their place, try to go back to the first century, and I want you to hear the words of Jesus Christ through their context, through their lens, how they understand those words. You have a man that's standing in front of you, and he has just claimed to be God in the human flesh. Can you imagine that? The audacity of someone to make that kind of claim. Now, if that's not enough, Jesus is not finished, is he? He's going to make another claim. He's going to say, hey, guys, not only am I God in the human flesh, not am I just equal with God in his nature, but I will tell you something else. I'm equal with God in his work. So you can begin to understand just a little bit about, you know, why they want to kill Jesus Christ, right? I mean, this was Mary and Joseph's son, a carpenter. I mean, think about this for a moment. This guy was born out of wedlock. Can you imagine the rumors that swirled around Jesus Christ no matter where he went? And now this man who was born out of wedlock has the audacity to make the claim. I am God in the human flesh. And furthermore, the works that I do are equal to the works that the Father does. <laughs> it would have been bad enough just to make the first claim, right? And now he's going to make this second claim. You're thinking, oh my goodness, what is going on in his mind? But can you begin to see the message that Jesus Christ is sending to this group of people that have gathered around? He does not want it to be ambiguous. He wants to be very, very clear with them about who he truly is. He is God, is what Jesus Christ is trying to say. You know, what's amazing to me is only us that live in the 20th century that struggle to understand who Jesus Christ is. People in the first century had no problem understanding the claims of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't have any problems understanding the claims that he was making. It is only us who struggle to understand. But it's very clear in this passage of Scripture. The second claim Jesus Christ makes is to be equal with God in his work. How could Jesus justify healing the man on the Sabbath? Well, it was easy. Jesus Christ's conclusion was very simple. Since He and the Father are one, the same nature, equal, if the Father is always at work, then the Son must always be at work as well. If healing the man on the Sabbath was a sin, then God must be sinning as well because the Son only does what He sees the Father doing. Isn't that what he said in the passage? Do you hear Jesus Christ's reasoning? Can you begin to see what Jesus Christ is pointing out to this group of people? Hey, open your eyes. I am God in the human flesh. That's what he's trying to get them to understand. Can you see it? It's clear, isn't it? It's very clear. 
The Son simply joined the Father in what he was doing. Now I want you to notice, or I hope you notice, in verses 19 through 21, the verses I just read to you, I hope you see this unique working relationship with Jesus Christ and the Father. Listen to it again so you can hear the words. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, The Son of Man can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives Him life, so also the Son gives life to whom He wills. I wonder what was going on in Jesus' mind when He makes that, hey, the Father raises people back to life. I wonder if Jesus Christ was thinking about the time when it comes to Lazarus and Jesus Christ is going to cause Lazarus from the grave. I, I don't know that's what he's thinking, but what I do notice in this, there is a unique working relationship between Jesus Christ and the Father in heaven. Did you see that here when we read it? It's easy to notice in this passage of scripture, but can I suggest something to you this morning as followers of Jesus Christ? We should have a working relationship with God the Father like Jesus had. We should always be looking for where the Father is at work that we might join Him in what He is doing. That's what Jesus did. Oftentimes we ask the question, what is God's will for my life? I honestly believe there's a better question to ask. The better question is this, what is God's will? We sometimes think that finding God's will is like a divine hide and seek. We think God has hidden His will from us and we must search to discover what it is. Instead, we should be looking around to see what the Father is doing and then join Him in what He is already at work doing. When we join God in what He is doing, we are doing God's will for our life. Don't you see that? Isn't that so true? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. I just want to make sure we're all together this morning. Make sure you're not dozing off on me today, all right? Can you see that? It is so very plain. Think about this for a moment. Isn't this the pattern of ministry we see throughout Scripture? Yes. Go back to Moses. In the story of Moses and the burning bush, did Moses go to God and say, Now, God, this is what I want to do for you. I want to deliver your people out of, the, out, out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land. Is that the way that story goes? No. What happened? God comes to Moses and he says to Moses, Hey, Moses, look up. Hey, it's God speaking to you. I'm here. Now listen to me. This is what I'm getting ready to do. I'm getting ready to deliver my people out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land. I want you to come and join what I'm about to do. Do you see that? I want you to come and be a part of the work that I'm doing, Moses. And you know what? That's God in His grace and His mercy. He invites all of us to join Him in what He is doing. I have thought a lot about this verse over the week. And I want you to listen very carefully to what I've written here. I'm going to read it to you because there's no way I could remember it. But I want you to just listen to what it is. I wonder what would happen in life, in the life of the church, if the works we seek to do were the works of the Father rather than our own. If they grew out of an intimate, loving relationship with God, like the kind of relationship that Jesus had. There is little power or life in any work we do where the source is our own ingenuity and effort. 
more than anything else, the church needs to stop doing things for God and the church needs to get on the same page with God and say like Jesus, we can do nothing of our own accord but only what we see the Father doing, we're going to join Him in His work. You see a whole different approach in ministry when we take that approach as verses, oh God, I'm looking for your will for my life and I just can't, I can't discern it and it's like it's being hidden from us somewhere under a rock and we're always searching for the will and as a result of that, we never engage in ministry anywhere. Do you see what I'm saying? And what we really need to do is just simply look where God is at work and join Him in His work. And when we do that, we will be following God's will for our lives. If that is true of Jesus Christ, think about this for a moment. If Jesus Christ says, I look for what the Father is doing, and I join Him in what He is doing. If that was true of Jesus Christ, how much more should that be true for us? I mean, think with me for a moment. Jesus is God in the human flesh. But He says, I don't do anything on my own. I do what I see the Father already doing, and so I simply join Him in where He's at work. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? To me, that, that is amazing. What an example of what ministry should look like for God's church, for us as individuals. So Jesus Christ makes these two claims First, he says, or he claims to be equal with God in his nature. Then he claims to be equal with God in his work. The third claim that Jesus Christ is going to make in this passage of Scripture, he's going to claim to be equal with God in his worship. In his worship. Go to this passage of Scripture, and let's pick up reading there in verse 22, and let's read verses 22 and 23. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Now listen to this last part of this verse. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Jesus said, if you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. In Jesus' words here, the two are inseparable. To honor the Son is to honor the Father, and to honor the Father is to honor the Son. There's no way in life to say, I'm going to honor God, the Father in heaven, and not honor Jesus Christ. And there's no way in life to say, I'm going to honor Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to honor the Father in heaven. The two are completely, totally inseparable, is what Jesus Christ is saying. Now, the unique thing, this word honor, in the Greek it carries the idea of worship. Now, Scripture clearly teaches us that God and God alone is to be worshipped. 
The Jews believed this. It was tied to their covenant. Think with me for a moment about the Ten Commandments, which was the covenant that was given by God to Moses for the children of Israel. Do you remember what that first one is? You shall worship or you shall have other gods before me. He follows that up and says, listen, don't make any graven images for yourself. Don't bow down before them. Don't worship them. According to the covenant, they were to worship God and God alone. But Jesus claims right here to be equal with God in his worship. Honor God, honor the Son as well. That's what Jesus Christ says. Do you see it here in this text? Now listen to me carefully. Any group that claims to worship God but doesn't recognize the deity of Christ and worship Him has neither the Father nor the Son. Apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot know the Father, worship the Father, or serve the Father. Jesus Christ clearly reveals to us who the Father is. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus Christ because He is God in the human flesh. Do you see that? Honor the Father. Honor the Son. Honor the Son. Honor the Father. Inseparable. In my time in the ministry, I've heard people say, that false religions basically worship the same God that we do of Christianity. The only difference is their understanding of who God is, but basically we are all attempting to worship the same God. Can I tell you this morning, that is a lie straight out of the pit of hell. That is. I'm going to tell you, Satan has convinced a lot of people of that, and there is no truth in that statement at all. To honor the Father is to honor the Son. To honor the Son is to honor the Father. To worship God is to worship Jesus Christ. To worship Jesus Christ is to worship the one true living God. They are inseparable. You cannot you can't separate the two. When Jesus Christ made this claim, he was claiming to be God, and the Jewish religious leaders knew this. Jesus claimed to be God in or equal to God in his worship. When we examine each of Jesus' claims, there's really no other conclusion that can be drawn except this one fact. Jesus was no ordinary man. He was a man who claimed to be equal with God. As I close this morning, I want you to listen to what one man wrote concerning Jesus Christ. I believe what he wrote best sums up this passage of Scripture. Listen to the words. It's entitled, Jesus. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another small village and worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. For three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did any of the things that usually accompany greatness. His only credentials were his character. 
While he was still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends all forsook him. One of them turned him over to be arrested, and another one denied him. He went through the mockery of a trial. Then they nailed him to the cross between two thieves. While he was dying, the soldiers gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he died, they laid him in a borrowed tomb. After three days, God raised him from the dead. Listen to this, uh, this paragraph. Twenty long centuries have come and gone, and today he stands as the central figure of human race. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all of the par- parliaments that have sat, and all of the kings who have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as the one, this one solitary man, Jesus Christ, the man who was equal to God. Jesus Christ, the man who was equal to God. And the most important question you will ever ask yourself is do you believe His claims? If you believe His claims, you will give your life to Him And you will worship Him for who He truly is because He is God. That's who Jesus Christ is. And there is no doubt about it. The man who was equal to God because He was God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word and the truth of Your Word. We thank You for the claims that Jesus Christ made in His Word. Lord, it is not ambiguous. It is very clear for us to see and to understand that Jesus Christ is God. Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning who has never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that today would be the day that they trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, we give You this time of invitation and pray that Your Spirit would work to your honor, and to your glory. And that people would respond in the manner in which you desire for them to respond. We pray and ask this in the powerful and the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. We're going to have an opportunity to respond to the Lord. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love to share with you how you can come into a relationship with Him today. Perhaps you're here today, and as we've talked about the claims that Jesus Christ made, maybe it's just opened your eyes again to once to the fact of who Jesus is, and maybe there's some areas of your life that He's really not Lord of, and you just need to allow Him to be complete Lord of your life today as followers of Jesus Christ.